welcome to the International Coke Council Region 1 and Region 1 Radio Show. My name is Tim Spears. I'm the host of Region 1 Radio. Region 1 was established in 2014, and we're made up of three states, California, Nevada, and Hawaii. That also includes 32 ICC chapters. We are dedicated to excellence in education and engagement to bring individuals together to share their stories. This podcast series was designed to highlight those individuals that make up our region and share their experiences. If you enjoy the show, please make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel. In this episode, we spoke with Mia Mervelli, Executive Director for the California Building Standards Commission. In this episode, we discussed her background, the many functions of the California Building Standards Commission, how the response to the pandemic shaped or changed their work, and resources they provide professionals and several other topics. Links to everything that we talked about in the show can be found in the show notes. Hey, welcome to ICC Region 1 Radio. We have today with us Mia Mervelli. She is the Executive Director with the California Building Standards Commission. Mia, how are you today? Good afternoon. It's great to see you, Tim. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad that we were able to connect. Uh, you know, the state of California, many of us, many of us code code professionals and code officials are right now we're um, in that 180 day window of the uh, triannual code cycle, trying to get our ordinances ready to go for the January 1st, uh, 2022 code uh, series. And so I thought this would be great to have you on to at least share a little bit more about the Building Standards Commission, um, myself included. I know that we all know a little bit, but we don't know a lot about the Building Standards Commission, especially for many of us out in the uh, state of California, but also too. Um, you know, people that listen in, um, you know, across the country, we, uh, you know, we also cover uh, region one also covers Nevada and Hawaii as well. And so uh, being able to share and hopefully they can, you know, if they have a state code, maybe they can share some of their experiences, but welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're always happy to talk to other states that, that conduct rulemaking processes for, for uh, their local building codes. So that would be great. Yeah. Well, before we get into California Building Standards Commission, code adoption, and all of that, can you share a little bit about your background and how you got your start in the profession? Sure, absolutely. Um, actually, uh, I leaned in school more towards the vocational side of things. Uh, and so um, I studied architecture and mechanical design in high school. There was a, a great program at my high school, and it, that led into uh, several positions after high school, uh, working for local drafting companies, uh, design companies, and some architectural firms, and even one civil engineering firm. Um, and so I, I leaned more towards working rather than going to college, although I did attend a local community college and have an AA in um, drafting and architecture. And then, uh, so what that did is it set me up to work at several state agencies. So in in the early 90s, I started with my first state agency, which is the Department of Water Resources, and then I went over to the Department of General Services for a number of years. And then in um, 2012, I came to the Building Standards Commission uh, doing the rulemaking process on the technical staff side. And it was later in life that I pursued my architectural degree, so I am a California licensed architect. Um, and in 2016 is when I applied and was appointed the executive director of the commission. 
So that's kind of my path to this, which is not necessarily a traditional path that, that right. most folks take um, in a design professional world, but it, it worked for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I, I think a lot of us can talk about, you know, doing things later in life. Like I didn't get my graduate degree until I was, I think, in, well, maybe I was in my late thirties, maybe early forties. And so, yeah. um, I do think that the life experience definitely helps, uh, especially as we go to transition into different parts of our career. Um, I know when I graduated high school, I was working in healthcare. Uh, I went wow. into a healthcare, healthcare profession and, and, uh, realized that I wanted to do something a little bit different. So it was either the fire service, the, uh, working with, uh, you know, working in law enforcement or, uh, going into the military. And luckily I was picked up, uh, by a, a state fire marshal's office in the Midwest. Uh, I used to work for the Iowa state, state fire marshal's office for uh, quite a few, quite a number of years. So. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, that transition, I didn't know what I wanted to do then, but I do know what I want to do now. And so life experience has definitely helped. So, um, now, so I, I think a lot of us high performing people, a lot of, a lot of us that are in these high stress pr professions, um, I personally, uh, live and die by a lot of my routines. Um, and so I'm very busy throughout the day. And if I don't, uh, um, one workout during my lunch hour, or have my morning cup of coffee, um, I'm probably not the same person throughout the day. And so I'm sure that maybe you have something very similar. So can you talk about like your daily routine, maybe how you get started in the morning and how you, you, you work your way through the day? Sure, yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm more of a morning person, so I enjoy, uh, and I feel like I function better in the morning. Uh, and uh, similar to you, I, I kind of am a routine-oriented person. I'm very comfortable with um, same, same. <laughs> uh, and uh, the day is always starts with coffee, and, and I find that almost like a relaxing time, those yes. first few minutes to have that coffee and just kind of wake up and think about things. Um, my morning routine has actually shifted due to the pandemic because okay. I used to get up, get ready right away and head into the office because if I liked being the first or second person here, I felt like I could get my day rolling much better being early. Um, but that's changed with the telework roles, right? Yes. So, yep. um, now it's a little bit different and I have this flexibility in the morning of of having that coffee while I'm checking emails. <laughs> uh, and so I do try to make time. I have uh, two days a week that I see a trainer to, to make sure that I at least have some form of exercise during the week. Right. Uh, and then I have a, a, a larger dog that I walk a few times a week or, or every day, depending on how the week is going. And so that's kind of my morning routine. Um, and it's always that little mental checklist of what's happening yeah. today, what do I need to prep for? What do I right. need to prep for for next week if there's something, um, you know, bigger in, in, in the calendar? So that's right. kind of my day. Yeah. Well, so now, I, and maybe I think I, I, I have this further down and maybe my questions, but this might be a good time to bring it up. What are some of the tools that you um, have to, you know, utilize every day um, that you can't live without? Um, for me, it's Apple Notes and uh, Apple Reminders. I, I, I've been a big uh, note taker now, and so I utilize Apple Notes, and actually it's helped, you know, save me on a couple things because then I can go back, I can search it and, and do those types of things, and even Apple Reminders. Uh, 
because like you just said, making the mental checklist, I, I always have to make a list because if I don't make the list, uh, I'll likely forget it by the time, you know, two o'clock rolls around. So what are some of those tools that you can't uh, live without? Well, we with the state of California, we use Outlook here. So it's the same type of thing as I've got uh -huh. that Monday morning calendar reminder. It's my yep. to do list. And I find that if I copy in emails that I need to address, links to the server on what needs to be reviewed, mm. all of that goes in that Monday morning. Ideally, that's what I'm <laughs> that's what I'm prepping for for the week. But the great thing is that it's something that I can transition to the next week and add to it, delete, remove. And I do have someone that helps me with that to some extent. And, and that person can go in and add to that list. And it's a it's an ongoing priority. So where it used to be that nice yellow long tablet where you'd rewrite it every week or whatever, this gets updated. Um, and, and to make myself feel good, I leave the strikeout in there so I know that I accomplished something. That's always nice. Um, so those are the tools I use. And notes is a really tricky one because um, it depends if the you know the I, I I am not as savvy with electronic notes. I'm more of a okay. little pad of paper. For right yep. now and then um a part of my learning curve is to sometimes retype in those notes so that i am editing as i go along to remind myself of certain things so that just is what works for for me um, yeah. i wish i was savvier with typing them on the fly yeah i you know a lot of times i dictate my notes now and so i'll have my iphone and i'll open up the notes app and i just dictate it now I will tell you, sometimes the uh, word recognition on the dictation software is not the best, um, but it, at least, it, it, you know, for me, when I'm, uh, let's say I'm in the car uh, or I'm at a meeting or something like that where I can quickly jot a, a quick note, um, that definitely has helped me. And I'm kind of like you. I think being a notes person definitely is something that is of extreme value. Um, I have I have too many Post-it notes on my desk um, that I, you know, that I care to admit, um, and I seem to never throw them away. Um, you know, they, they, so my desk is covered with little pink post-it notes right now. And so, um, <laughs> those, those are handy too, actually. I'm yeah. glad you brought those up. Those are wonderful. Too. Maybe you need one of those little receipt, uh, uh where you slam it down, uh, you know, the order's done. So you put yes. on the receipt thing and you have it forever. Yes. Being it, like you just said, being able to strike through something, it gives you that sense of accomplishment, right? That, right. you know, it kind of least makes you feel good. It does me anyway, every time I can check something off my list. So now we talked a little bit about your morning routine and um, those different things, but how do you maintain a, a level of balance? I think a lot of us are very busy throughout the day. Um, and uh, I know that um, that leads to a lot of stress. It does, definitely leads to a lot of stress in my life. But how do you maintain that good work-life balance? Uh, well, that has been a challenge. And I, and I think, again, that having this position later in life, you know, my, my daughter's grown. Um, mm -hmm. I'm an empty nester. And so I have... I had the ability to mentally shift the energy that was used to raise a family and run a household to it's really primarily focused on on this position right now right and i'm, I'm yep. lucky to have that flexibility um because uh, when i accepted the position six years ago i knew it was never going to be an eight to five position it's just right. not possible um yeah. uh, and and so it's been quite a challenge to have a, a work-life balance Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things is maintaining that I have this um, 
you know, scheduled workout time that right. if it was up to me, I would never go. But since it's a <laughs> scheduled time, I go. Um, right. Some of the other things I do are um, I used to play uh, adult women's soccer for a number of years, and that was a really good outlet and a good yep. stress relief, and it was great exercise. It's gotten a little too hard on my aging body, so I had to let that go. Right. <laughs> uh, and I have a great group of friends that I go water skiing with during the summer, so that gets me out. Um, and then my latest passion is I enjoy fly fishing. So oh. it's really challenging to be out on the water uh, doing something and check emails. So that yes. allows me to – it's really – it used to be that I could do projects around the house and decompress, and that's not – um, that's not working anymore. I have to actually be in an environment where I'm unable to completely shut off from, from the electronic piece of it for right. a while. Um, and of course have a backup system in place for that. So, so that's, that's what I'm doing to, to decompress and disconnect a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I actually am fascinated by the fly fishing, to be honest with you. You're the first person to tell me that they, they go out and fly fish. I, um, I'm, uh, I, I do like the outdoors myself. I actually hike quite a bit. Um, I go up, I've, um, I live about two hours from Yosemite. So I try to be up, be up there maybe once a month, um, and be able to, like you just said, it's hard to really check an email when you have no internet connection. Um, and nobody can bother you. And it's really, actually, it's kind of refreshing. Right. Um, um, it's just, you can, you be there with your thoughts and be able to relax and disconnect. Um, yeah. where so many of us can't or haven't been able to find that, uh, that ability. So, um, but fly fishing, I'm very fascinated by fly fishing. That's awesome. That's, um, how long have you been fly fishing? Uh, well, as a kid, I used to go fishing a lot with my dad, but it was much different. Um, and uh -huh. then I've been probably, it's probably been five or six years that I picked it up and I, I always liked fishing, but there was a long pause there. And then I yep. thought, well, shoot, this is something I can go back and do. I mean, it really isn't that demanding, but the benefit, like you said, is I get to be out. I yep. do get a little hike in, I get some exercise in, um, and, and it, it requires me to focus on something different than work. And so that's really the, 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 um, decompression and the shut off as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Like you just said, you have to focus it. I would imagine there is a lot of, uh, a lot of details associated with fly fishing to be successful in that as well. So, um, well, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Um, now, um, being part of the building standards commission, like I said earlier, many of us, um, know what the Building Standards Commission is, or at least the, what piece of it that we relate to the Building Standards Commission. And I'm a fire code official, and so I relate to the adoption of the California Building, or the California Fire Code and its adoption. Um, but can you talk about the functions of the California Building Standards Commission, and what are the primary roles and objectives? Certainly, yeah. So our you know, we were originally formed to administer the uh, the long name is the California Building Standards Code process, which is Title 24 in the California Code of Regulations. It's that huge suite of codes mm -hmm. made up of 13 parts. And so that was our original charge was to administer that process. And what that really means is work with the different state agencies that have authority to promulgate regulations in Title 24 
such as the Office of the State Fire Marshal for the fire and life safety items. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, making sure there's a contract in place with the publisher so that it gets published every three years. Uh, and then our, our, that's our big hat, I call it. And then we have a couple of small hats. Our, uh, a couple of our small hats are we do have authority to promulgate regulations for uh, state buildings, UC, CSUs. Um, so those are somewhat limited, and that's with our, our BSC banner and some of the, the code sections. Uh, and we work closely with the Department of, uh, excuse me, the Division of the State Architect for, for their similar amendments to um, state service essential services buildings and things like that. And then our other hat is, uh, which is, uh, occurred in about 2007, is our authority to promulgate the green building standards found in okay. Green, Part 11. Now, our piece of it is um, just for non-residential occupancies. So we're in that Chapter 5 and A5 for voluntary, and then it's the Department of Housing and Community Development that authors the residential pieces for single-family, okay. multi-family hotels, motels. So that's that part 11, the Cal Green Code, we call it, uh, is, is really mostly developed by Building Standards Commission and HCD. Now, also mm-hmm. the Division of the State Architect has a number of amendments for uh, public schools K-12 through and community okay. colleges. So those are our big hats. And then, of course, we also receive the local ordinances from jurisdictions and um i'll just do a quick plug because i know it's that time of the season right right and, right uh, and, and and you may ask this question later about resources but this is kind of a good opportunity is stuart tom and i just updated the uh video um mm-hmm. it's available on our website under our resources page that helps with the just des- describing the local ordinance process uh, we also have a pretty extensive guide on our website that talks about the local ordinance process. Not mm-hmm. every single ordinance comes to us, although a lot of jurisdictions just send them to us because by default everything's in one package. But there's right. pieces that go to HCD, or Housing and Community Development. There's pieces that, that go to the State Fire Marshal and the uh, Historical Board and things like that. But the majority mm-hmm. of them come to us and then we process them and send a letter uh, of acceptance if it's if it's if it meets the criteria in building standards law. Oh, and I forgot some of the uh, ordinances also go to the energy commission if they're energy related. So Yeah, it's a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. That's just primarily our our those are our hats we call them really. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like you just said, we are in that season of a lot of us adopting our ordinances right now. And it's a good reminder that when you do finish up those ordinances to make sure to file them um, with their appropriate state agencies. So that way you make sure that you're following all the state statutes uh, and make sure that they get taken care of. So that's, yeah, that's a good reminder. I I have only been in California now since uh, 2015. So seven years or, uh, yeah, we're almost at seven years. Um, And... um, 
you know, that, that was kind of new to me. Um, I'd worked in the state of Colorado. We didn't have a, a per se, a state or, or a state fire code. Um, we adopted it locally and, uh, we did all our amendments and, um, did it that way. And now when I was working for the state of Iowa, we actually did have a state fire code. Um, and we inspected schools very similar to what we do here, but I don't think that the process adopting the code was maybe as, uh, a, a, you know, as structured as what California is. Um, and I think that there's a lot of history associated with California um, and that adoption process and how amendments get in and and, uh, and and how you know what that process is. Now, speaking of the process, um, you mentioned kind of how the pandemic has shaped uh, maybe your daily routine. But how did response to COVID-19 and the pandemic maybe shape this last code cycle and the adoption of the, you know, the, the last edition or this last round? Right. Uh, really good question, because we were a little nervous on how mm -hmm. that would play out. Um, our office was, pri we, we, were, we were in the office every day. So we shifted um, quite quickly with the help of the Department of General Services um, IT department to get everyone a laptop, to get us you know, the ability to work remotely. Those types of things um, took a little bit of time but gratefully, we had a, a server system that we could all mm -hmm. access and continue to work on the rulemaking documents. I think the, the the biggest, a couple of the biggest shifts were the fact that, you know, it was a little bit old school is when the rulemaking packages were due from the state agencies, they would physically come to our office and get it stamped and oh. check it and we'd look at these paper copies. Uh, and then we also received an electronic version as well so that we could, you know, put things online. And so that really shifted because mm -hmm. um, many of our, our counterparts at the other state agencies were obviously in the same boat we were. Uh, and, you know, who's going to print out a 100-page document and bring right. it in a paper folder? <laughs> so <laughs> we, um, we shifted and started accepting everything electronically. And, and gratefully, as software caught up, we've got electronic signatures on a lot of things. Um, and so that was probably the... The, the biggest change process-wise, um, and it created a lot of efficiencies in some ways um, because there's always the corrections that are needed, right? Right. Uh, the other thing that, that we found was really a benefit is the ability to meet online, mm -hmm. and we had a significant increase in the number of participants for our public meetings. So that okay. was huge so we we have um just to give you a little bit of background is we will uh, uh administer uh what we call early pre-cycle workshops which is the you know planning and developing of certain new regulations to get interest in it or ask for feedback that's the early part and we do that for our rulemakings and then we co uh, chair with some other state agencies from time to time. But then our formal public meetings, which are our code advisory committee meetings, those are the technical meetings where the members make recommendations on the code changes. And then, of course, the commission meetings, those were all uh, virtual because we had this waiver from the governor to be able to meet mm. virtually and not have a physical right. location, which was a big deal. At first, it was a real struggle because it was like, what yeah. platform do you use and is it working right. and you know can you hear everybody and not everybody has the ability to have software and so mm -hmm. there were some hurdles early on but like anything let's practice let's have a yeah. 
early workshops or set up uh, and do that. So that was, uh, I think, a benefit, and I don't think there's any any going back. Uh, you know, we used to rent uh, an auditorium and have our pre-cycle workshops. Wow. That way. Well, now right. we can have them virtually, um, and I, th- I think we get a lot more participation. Um, mm-hmm. The the tricky part about the public meetings where you, where the state body is required to have a physical location is that mm-hmm. can change. Mm-hmm. We have another waiver that allows us to continue on this way until next July, but okay. we may need to go back to a physical location where people can actually come and attend the meetings. But people are going to want to have both options, right? They're going to want that yeah. virtual experience because why fly to Sacramento and provide yep. testimony if you can just hop on your computer and provide that public testimony? So. Mm-hmm. I think there's some advantages. I think there's some cost savings for travel, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some time-saving issues. Some uh, We were starting our meetings sometimes at 10 o'clock because we had members flying in. Uh, and you yeah. have to wait for that. You know, they've got to get to the venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we can start our meetings at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and they can run till 5. We don't have to worry about somebody missing a flight. So those are the types of things that I think have shifted. But And I kind of went off on a tangent there, but... <laughs> But I think the, the, the interesting part about the pandemic itself is there was this concern early on, what are we going to do if we can't administer this code package and adopt the mm-hmm. 2022 codes? I mean, that was right. a, a real concern. And the yep. bottom line was we didn't get a waiver not to do it. Right. So we had to figure out how to do it. And you figure it out, right? Yep. We've got a lot of yep. creative people here. We've got a lot of smart minds here. Yep. Um, and so we just had to figure it out and get it done because it wasn't yeah. like put everything on hold. We didn't have that option. Right. <laughs> well, you know, um, it's one of those things that even in the face of the global pandemic, we all had to um, try to find ways to be able to continue to do what we do. Um, and find the tools, like you mentioned, being able to, it, it, you know, find the platforms where we can all communicate and be able to um, be able to participate. Um, and I, like you mentioned, it, it's good to hear that so many, it, it's more of an inclusive process now, right? We've got more people that can attend meetings and, and even I'm part of the uh, Cal Chiefs organization, um, our fire prevention officers. And so we host a, a monthly meeting and like, like you mentioned, being able to hold those meetings, both virtually and in person it will allow so much so many more of us to be able to connect and be more well informed uh i think than what what we've ever been in the history of uh of of what we've been doing and so i think it'll just continue to get better i know in talking with uh folks with the international code council kind of the same thing right they had to figure out how they were going to continue the process uh during the different uh code cycles that they had going on at that time and and they did a very good job i i remember why i even i think i even had to testify in albuquerque well, I, I wasn't in Albuquerque, or maybe it was Rochester, but one of the two, I wasn't there. I was sitting um, in front of my computer screen being able to testify like so many of, uh, so many of all of us were as the committees were being uh, sequestered, I think, in Chicago the, that last time around. So, um, But it's definitely uh, – COVID it definitely impacted us, but I think it led to a lot of efficiencies that um, are going to be helpful for us as we continue to move forward. So – but 
Um, now, one of the questions, because and maybe this is selfish of me, but uh, I uh, many of us are dealing with the state housing crisis right now, right? We've got a lot of uh, folks that are um, working tireless, tirelessly on um, trying to find emergency housing and those types of things. How does the Building Standards Commission, I don't want to say help, but aid local agencies in maybe the emergency housing crisis that the state of California is facing right now? Well, that is a little bit of a tricky question because it is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse. Um, okay. It's really the Department of Housing and Community Development that has mm -hmm. uh, um, adopted those appendix appendices in the back of the residential code right. and the building code. Um, and so for for our role in that is just making sure that we are communicating and offering ways to, if there are emergency building standards that are needed to address mm. that, um, you know, we, we monitor legislation and when a legislation is enacted, we, we kind of keep a tally of things knowing okay. that this state agency is going to be promulgating these regs and we have a little reminder for ourselves if, if we don't see something that gets included or we ask questions we we kind of follow up with the state agency and say hey are you guys going to propose these changes we know this legislation mm. was enacted is there anything special we need to do to help you so it's really the facilitator part of it okay and, and in the case of emergency housing it's not a direct um, right. a direct effect on us Right. But like you just said, being able to facilitate because there are, you know, there are different pieces of legislation that come out on occasion that um, a lot of us may not know or not may not be as well connected, um, uh, you know, to the to Sacramento and understand all that and being able to facilitate those conversations will definitely help us all. I know a lot of us are looking to those new appendices in the, in the building code, in the residential code and uh, working through that process as well. So. Now, we talk about, like I just said, not being connected, but how do you stay connected with, because um, everything seems to always be evolving, um, and we there's always something new that comes out um, and different changes either through legislation or through the codes or construction materials or the building industry. How do you stay informed and up-to-date on the most recent changes? Well, it seems like with this... Um electronic world there's so much more thrown at us that i feel mm -hmm. obligated or responsible for reading and that has become a real challenge right mm -hmm. so i've had to i'm i'm having to sort of filter through what is it i need for my job because there's so many things out there that would be so interesting to be able to to read um <laughs> and so for for one thing it's it's because california legislation affects building standards commission so much though that's probably one of the higher priorities that i'm trying to, to keep track of and informed on um mm -hmm. uh, some of the periodicals that i read are um you know we get some wonderful electronic uh, news informations from the International Code Council. Uh, mm -hmm. IATMO publishes some really great things where they feature certain plumbing code changes that I seem to fixate on because I find that interesting. Uh, <laughs> and then actually it's a National uh, Fire Protection Association magazine that is, I think it's now uh, bi-monthly. Mm -hmm. We still get a paper copy of that. Um, and, yeah. and something about the paper copy with the pictures Mm -hmm. And a lot of those topics are actually related to um, um, uh, hazards or emergencies that have occurred in California, 
mm -hmm. or they're directly related to building standards. It's fascinating the other items that are in there that I don't even think about. But so, you know, we, while there's less of us in the office on a day-to-day -day basis, we still come in a, one or two days a week. And so one of my fun things to do is take those little post-its and I flag those things. And, and, and I think mm -hmm. what makes it helpful is the articles maybe a page or two. And so right. they do a great job of condensing the information. And I mm -hmm. flag that and route it around and say, hey, there's a really great article about the the, the tower issue with the external siding that caught on fire right. in, in the UK, which was tragic but interesting. And we got a lot of questions about that. You know, what are you doing yeah. about this? It's always, what are you yeah. doing about it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, uh, and then other ones have been uh, related to electric vehicle charging uh, yes. uh regulations that are in um, the NFPA. And so th those are the things that, that, that helps me stay up to speed. But mm -hmm. um, the other thing that helps is the actual dialogue with other folks that are my colleagues. So mm -hmm. for example, um, I try to make a point to attend some of the ICC chapter meetings. Uh, okay. We do have staff that I encourage them to go to participate in those when we can. Um, I do try to attend some of the national hearings. Um, and then I'm trying, I'm blanking on another one. And, and what I, oh, um, the Calvo events and, this, and the, the uh, California County building official events have been really great too, the annual business meetings. And, you know, usually I'm there with another colleague to do a presentation, right? Which is mm -hmm, your, mm -hmm. your 30, your 40 minute, whatever. Well, the true benefit is listening to the other presentations, meeting the building officials that are there and the enforcement folks that are there and actually mm -hmm. hearing what is it, what is going on in their world and then right. kind of reflecting on, well, how can Building Standards Commission help in any way? And I think it gives me the perspective of, well, first of all, it, it's, it's, it, it's very inspiring because mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I went from a, a position where I was assigned, just draw these drawings and I wasn't really uh, involved in communicating with a lot of other people. And with mm -hmm. this position, you meet such a variety of people that really care about what they do. And I think that's yeah. sort of the um, inspiring part, but it's also the educational piece for me of, gosh, we're here focused on this and maybe we should shift gears and focus on this because this seems like a higher priority for, I look at the enforcement community as our client, as a client. That's how I perceive it. Um, right. So um, one of our clients, we have a lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So anyway, that that's that's kind of how I try to stay connected. Yeah, I think that, like you mentioned, the NFPA journal, I do the same thing. I think that reading that NFPA journal, there, there are always timely and relevant articles that are very helpful. And um, I, I know that they even have an app now that you can look at it on your iPad. Um, sometimes I like it on the iPad because then I can click the link. Uh, like if they mm -hmm. have something there and there's a link that you can click and that takes you in another direction. But the bad thing about the links is then it's, I go down a rabbit hole and I, you know, four hours later, 
um, I, I'm yeah. as far away from it as I possibly can at this point. So yeah. um, <laughs> now you mentioned the networking piece and being able to go to conferences. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of us are, are valuing that reconnection, um, being able to attend conferences again or meetings in person because the virtual things are great, but you, then you can't have those side conversations that we always used to have at conferences to be able to talk about things that are impacting us personally um, in our, you know, given jurisdictions. And, um, and it, I think that that's one of the things that virtual, it's a little bit harder to have those types of conversations. Like I've, I've been to a virtual happy hour um, after, a, you know, it was a conference, a virtual conference, but they had a virtual happy hour and it was still very difficult to be able to make those mm-hmm. connections. Um, and so now that we're able to reconnect again, I think that the, that networking piece is definitely of extreme value. Um, a lot lot of us uh, missed uh, for those couple years that we weren't able to meet and, and get together. So, yeah, I, uh, I would definitely agree with that. It, and really, that's been the that's one been one of the great benefits of this position is is the relationships that I've made with other folks that I would have never crossed those paths. Right. 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 Yeah. Now we talk about relationships, but how do you work to build those cooperative relationships? You mentioned being able to attend all the ICC chapter meetings or many of the ICC chapter meetings in Calvo and, and the county building officials group. Um, how else do you work on building relationships or cooperative relationships um, in with other code officials or maybe other people within the industry? Well, it, it, it's really the other state agencies as well. That That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. The, the majority of our uh, communication is with the other state agencies and the develop of, development of the rulemaking. And mm-hmm. so it's it's really a challenge because, um, you know, we're all spread out. And I guess I look at the opportunity is if we have a meeting where we're discussing a topic or collaborating, I try to keep the um, the tone is that we're working together on this. And I think um, sometimes in state government, the perception can be that that we're a control agency, you know, we're a regulatory mm-hmm. agency, we right. control, we, we um, you know, we, we say no. Uh, and so I think the relationship building needs to be more about we have tools that can help you do this. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have to comply with the law. But how can we work within the rules to get this done? Right. Um, and there's, I look at, I remember one of the engineers I used to work with, with at DSA, it was great because it's like, there's always a solution. If mm-hmm. you really look hard enough, there's always a solution. Um, yeah. And so I think that in itself, and that's what I, that's the culture I try to have here with the, the team at BSC um, is, you know, we're not here to tell people no. We're here to tell people that might not work that way, but let me show you right. how we can make it work. Right. And I yeah, think that I... goes a long way to build relationships as opposed to let's go play golf or let's go, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
Yep. Which, that's good I, too. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you on that. And uh, like, I had a building official. Um, I you know one of my, he's a friend of mine, and he he said that he's always trying to work to yes. You know, we always you know a lot of us they look at us being regulators and always saying no. But I'll be honest, I don't like to say no. I mean, honestly, I I do want to work to that yes. And it's all about perspective and how do we how do we work together to be able to achieve the goal that everybody wants to achieve. I mean, we don't. And I always tell people, we're not trying to be a barrier to any economic development or wherever you want to be. We just want to make sure that we're doing it safely. And maybe we can share our perspective um, as we go through that process. So, and, and part of that is educating people on the process, right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, and so that's another piece of it for us that we feel is really important is, you know, we get some folks that come in late to the game, we'll call it. Uh, and right. they're like, well, we want this, this, and this. And I said, well, you know, that would have been good information to know five months ago, and here's why. Right. And mm -hmm. so how can we do this next code cycle to get this in the code? We have to work within these rules. And so um, we don't always have the time, even though it sounds like there's a lot of time. <laughs> we don't always have the time in, in that the law allows us to do certain things in a rush, rush, rush. So Right, yeah. yeah. So the education and, uh, piece is important, yeah. Right, and I talked to uh, Kevin McCosker. He's now retired, but he was the building official for the city of Las Vegas, um, and or, um, I think it was North, or, no, Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> and there was a counterpart was uh, North Las Vegas, and he was saying because he is very big in the code development process and code development world as well. And I said, "Do you ever think that maybe we should shorten um, the code process?" And he's like, "No, I actually don't, because if if we shorten it too much, then what's going to happen is we're not going to have that good debate to be able to make uh, and, and to be able to make good code change." And so he, he, he felt like, hey, the process is really good in the sense that it allows us to have that good debate. But also, too, like you mentioned, it's good to know these things maybe ahead of time and not at the 11th hour when we're trying to you know move, move something forward. Um, and it might be something that we can definitely introduce in the next code cycle. So, mm -hmm. but. Well, in, in the national process, the advantage is it is a three-year process in California. Yeah we make the intervening code cycle that 18 months also. Right. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> we get to do you it guys, every 18 months. <laughs> yeah. You guys are always busy. There's not, there's no really yeah. downtime, right? <laughs> not, not really. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, um, one of the things that um, I've noticed and many people that I talked to um, were definitely, uh, you know, in the building industry, fire code industry, um, we're kind of, we're, we're an aging profession. Um, we've got a lot of us that are, you know, now seeing that we need to recruit the next generation into a building safety career. And, and what advice would you give those that are maybe seeking a career? Like you, like you mentioned, you didn't take a, a, a traditional path. Um, um, what advice would you give those that maybe are seeking a, a career in building safety? Yeah, I, I've thought about this a lot. And this, this is kind of something that is a little bit possibly in a retirement mode for me of wanting to encourage folks that maybe are in the trades or are labor, uh, more comfortable with labor and, and maybe don't have the opportunity to, to seek a, a college degree in engineering or um, architecture or, or mm -hmm. code development, 
I think the great part is there's certification processes that can create a more vocational path for folks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, I, I'm a true believer that that the young people learn differently and not everyone succeeds in the traditional education mm-hmm. path. Uh, and so, like, for myself, while I did graduate and I did... <laughs> <laughs> It, it was a, it was a real struggle uh, in school for me, and as soon as I entered into the courses where you were actually doing something, you were producing mm-hmm. something, you were seeing your results differently than a letter on a paper. I succeeded, and so you get right. this sense of accomplishment. And I think that mm-hmm. sometimes young people might not be exposed to that. Uh, or the availability um, to, to learn that there's these other opportunities. Um, and so that, that's what I would encourage is, is, is I, would, um, I was fortunate enough to be involved in a program where it was a, um, it was a vocational education program, and that's how mm-hmm. I got into this path. Um, otherwise, I would, I'm not really sure what I would have ended up doing. Um, and it isn't. I, another thing is it's it, at the time in the early '80s, which uh, it was, you know, it was not necessarily a traditional path for young women to go into, um, mm-hmm. and so that's that was another aspect. Um, so, long story is it would be it would be nice for us folks that are aging out and getting ready to retire is to to give back and try to find those uh, avenues whether it's going and doing talks, like I've done talks before at um, junior high and high school. There's a lot of vocation programs out there if you look for them. Um, mm-hmm. I would be interested in, you know, job retraining programs where someone maybe, uh, you know, can't do that physical labor anymore, but they have all of right, this knowledge right. of how things go together. Right. Um, that, that's, that's kind of what I see would be helpful. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, one of the, I talked to uh, Madison Domineski, she works with ICC and she mentioned the, the technical training program that ICC has to offer, especially a lot of, uh, ki- uh I say kids, um, a lot of, uh, you know, younger <laughs> folks that are, uh, in high school and in, in, in high school, maybe going into, um, like a, a vocational school, but there is a training piece that at least allows them to work towards a ICC certification. So a residential building and inspector and those areas. And I tried to, my son, he just turned, well, yeah, he just turned 19. Um, I tried to uh, recruit him into this profession and, and he thought I was crazy and said, no, I'm not really interested, but maybe five years from now, he'll change his mind and, and maybe I can get him into this profession because I will say it's given me a lot. Um, and, uh, I do find it extremely rewarding. I think that so many of us do, I, I, um, and I, I do find it fascinating, uh, you know, anywhere from, you know, some of the basic inspections that we go to, to these large logistics facilities that are now using robotics and, and, and those types of things are so fascinating to me to see that no two days are the same and trying to, uh, help that, help them see that as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now, we kind of talked about trying to recruit people into the profession, but what makes you inspired for the future? Um, I, I think for me, it's technology and seeing the advancements that we see every day. But what makes you inspired for the future, especially in building safety? Um, well, I think 
I touched on it a little bit earlier is is really working with the various folks that are involved in this process that actually that that truly do care about what we do. That mm-hmm. that is inspiring for me. Um, I think, and maybe this was how I was raised is, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I know that I took an oath to Mm -hmm. do this, um, administer this process, you tend not to hit the snooze button. (laughs) Right. And so I think I'm inspired by the sheer fact that, um, you know, I have folks here that, that depend on me for some direction. And so that's a piece Mm -hmm. of it. But also it's that, you know, I'm always thinking of calendar and I've only got, you know, so many business days until this has to happen. So many business. Right. And, and, and and so those are the things that keep me going. Um, But the inspired part is, you know, I, I am really proud of the process that we administer. I think it's a good process. I, I, I'm also inspired by the fact that I'm always looking for ways to improve the process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nothing's ever perfect. Um, right. And so it's interesting when you hear from other folks and they say, well, have you ever tried this or have you done that? Or, and even when it's not positive criticism, uh, right. it's, you know, I kind of walk away and I go, God, I never thought of that. That's a really good idea. <laughs> the delivery was a little rough, but right. uh, that was a good idea. And so, and I'm, I'm sure that the team here sometimes goes, oh, God, she's been talking to people again. She's coming back with new ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the things that, that inspire me to, to, to keep moving forward and making the process better. Yeah, you, like you just said, you know, sometimes the delivery may not be the best uh, when you receive feedback, but hey, it's feedback nonetheless. And is it going to be something that we can develop a better product overall? Absolutely. So, well, Mia, I want to thank you for your time. I, you, I know you're very busy. Like you just mentioned, you, you go from this triannual code cycle into, you know, the inter, intervening code cycle. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. So speaking of that, how can our listeners, um, and we have people who listen across the country, how can they uh, learn more about the Building Standards Commission and then also the things that you guys are, are doing every day? That, um, I'm glad you asked because that, that's actually a big component of what we do is our education and outreach portion as well. So on our website, we have a resource tab, and under that tab, we um, develop quite a few guides. Uh, so there's a guide about Title 24, which goes into great detail about, you know, how the codes, California codes are developed, what they're based on, the state agencies mm-hmm. that are involved in the process, and so on. So that's a great guide. There's a, We have guides that help local jurisdictions with the ordinance process that we talked about before. And, it, mm-hmm. and, and the nice thing about our guides is generally in there we list the California uh, law that, that – um, that requires us to, to, to do what we do. And so it's helpful because you can search for little keywords in these PDFs and you can go right to what you're looking for. I use them all the time, actually, when someone says, oh, I've got a question about this. And I go, I know we've written it a hundred times. I'm not going to rewrite this. Let me just go here. So right. the resource page is great. Uh, uh, we also have a guide about the rulemaking process itself. There's there's two. There's one for the general public if they so choose to want to know about it. But if you want to go into more detail, we actually have a rulemaking guide for the state agencies that has a lot more detail about the requirements in the Administrative Procedure Act and Building Standards mm-hmm. and things like that. 
all of that is free of charge and online. The other thing we've done in the last uh, several years is developed short YouTube videos uh, that complement those guides. So if you don't want to read a oh. whole guide, you okay. can listen to a 15-minute video, and it, and it just kind of gets a high-level review of some of those topics. I think we have about five or six videos now. The, the, the local ordinance adoption video that I do with Stuart, that's about an hour long. So that mm -hmm. goes into great detail because Stuart does a great job of having a lot of yep. resources and timelines online. And then I was thinking about this a little bit more and what, what oh, we also have a quarterly newsletter. So, okay. so I'll, I'll just plug that if you subscribe to um, our listserv, which is on our contact page, uh, you will receive not only the, the quarterly newsletter, but you'll also receive any meeting notices we have, any information bulletins that we issue that maybe alert people to things that are happening with building standards like, you know, the code is published, or here's a list of legislation that may impact building standards, those types of things we announce every now and again. And then the, the, the unintended consequence of having all of this virtual uh, world is the fact that um, we uh, uh, have all these YouTube on our YouTube channel, which is also right on our homepage, is you can go back and watch the meetings. So you can watch okay. our workshops, you can watch the Code Advisory Committee meetings, and you can watch the Commission meetings. Now, I'll warn you, they're a little technical <laughs> and they may not be a lot yep. of fun to watch, but it, it's a little bit fascinating if, if um, you've you've gone through the guide, you've learned about the process, and you say, well, let me just see what a code advisory committee is really like in real life. You can click on one of those videos and watch enough of it to get an idea of, oh, okay, they, they repeat this, you know, uh, Robert's Rules of Order uh -huh. process, and they discuss the technical aspects of the code package. And then the commission meetings are a little bit different, but the same, same idea. So... Um, you also get a feel for how passionate some of our um, interested parties are. You know, yeah. when, when we're yep. having um, code development for accessibility, there's a lot of members of the public that are very passionate about the code changes and how it impacts their personal lives. And so they're quite moving testimonies from uh, from some of the individuals. So, so that really isn't part of our education piece, but the reality is, it's there if you ever wanted to go mm -hmm. and, and really see what it's like and how our hearings are run. So um, I had a, a couple thoughts on that, and I think I think that pretty much covers it. But I highly encourage everyone to uh, sign up on our Liftserv, um, and and our whole web page is again we're we're open to to suggestions. But it's a pretty user friendly web page where you can view the codes online. You can view the rulemaking process online, and then mm -hmm. you have the resources that are available there to help you with that. And of course, well, we have and... a phone number, and we do answer the phone. So if you call, <laughs> we will answer the phone and talk to you. <laughs> and that's a good thing, because many of us, when we call, I'll be honest, when it, sometimes when I call uh, a state agency, I may not get the live person. And, and it's hard then to be able to find the people that you need to get uh, in touch with to find the answer that you need. So I will tell you, as somebody that's on this end, absolutely, that's a massive benefit. And definitely, um, I've, I've been able to, uh, thankfully, I have uh, some friends uh, that work in some of the state agencies that can put me in contact. Uh, I think... Uh, 
actually, I think Susan Dowdy recommended that I reach out to you. So, um, yeah. but yeah. Uh, well, we will but get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's one of those things that um, I will tell you that that's a massive benefit. Also to the resources page. I've, I have benefited from that as well. Somebody that, like I said, came into this, the state in 2015, not understanding um, the ordinance process. I watched that uh, 2015 or probably it was right around that time, that video, you uh, one of the earlier videos you did with Stuart Tom. Uh, I watched that to help me understand the ordinance process and what I needed to do. Um, and then I also had a local fire code official that helped me through the process. And so, but that resources page and, and also too, there, I think for me, there was another, um, there was another document on there. Oh, it was about what my responsibility is as a oh, fire code official. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And so all of that stuff is of great benefit. And if you've never checked it out, I highly recommend it. Somebody that was new to the new to the state um, had uh, several years in the profession, but new to the state gave me a good understanding of what I needed to do. And I share that with my staff, too. We did. We've gone through some of those uh, some of those resources. Um, And now that I hear there's videos, I can at least now they don't have to listen to me talk. We can then play the video and they can get a little bit more information. So. But, well, Mia, I really do appreciate it. Um, thank you again for taking time out of your busy day. I know that you're extremely busy. Um, and, uh, I again, thank you so much. Um, now, if anyone wants to... Um, anybody has any feedback for us, please, you know, check us out on iTunes, um, listen to this podcast, watch the video. And if you have any suggestions, please let us know. Um, we're always happy. Like Mia said, we're always open to, I'm always open to feedback. Um, so if you've got a, anybody else that you, maybe we can reach out and talk to and be a guest on the show, that would be fantastic. But with that, we're going to bring the episode to a close. Mia, do you have anything else to add? No, just, Thank you for having us, and um, I, I, you know, I can't, I couldn't do this without the team here. We, we, uh, we have a small but mighty team, uh, and so it definitely takes takes a village, and we've got we've got a great group of people. So thank you, thank you so much for for, you know, highlighting our office and and what we do. Yes, we're, we're, and we're here to help. All right, absolutely. All right, thank you, and uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>